Today we're in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Everybody has somebody in their life, or several, who are their key players, key influencers. They could be a mentor, it could be a boss, it could be a friend, it could be a a teacher, a life coach. It could be a, a musical group that you listen to and you, you memorize the words. Everybody has someone that causes them to have either focus or answers or guidance in life. And tonight we are talking about choosing your key players carefully. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, we're continuing our focus on fanning the flame because God wants you to be on that cutting edge of the energy, the focus, and the faith to move forward sincerely. Pastor Bob pointed out to us that church and life is made up of three kinds of people. You have your positives who are the influencers for God and for Jesus, people who do the gospel things in gospel ways for gospel reasons. And they love God and they want to have an impact in your life for that reason. And those are the people that Timothy is being told by the Apostle Paul to surround himself with. Those are the kinds of people you want in your life. But the world is full of other kinds of people too. It's a big world. And we have the negatives. Those are people who don't necessarily have Jesus. They might have religion or they might not have religion, but they as well are influencers. They are teachers. They are mentors. They are people who write music and influence you and maybe have a part in your life because you choose to let them in. And some of those people may do ungospel things in ungospel ways for ungospel reasons. And the scripture wants you to become aware of that. Because both those positives and those negatives are reaching out to you. They want to make an impact in their world, just like many of you who are positives, and hopefully none of you are negatives, want to make an influence somewhere in the world on somebody. The neutrals are at varying stages of spiritual growth, and they're more likely to be influenced than to be an influencer. Of those three groups, which are you? So you hang with certain people, you listen to certain people, and Paul tells Timothy some things to avoid drift. Because there are causes of drift in people's lives. Just to review what you've heard over the last two or three weeks, one of the causes of drift is quarreling about words and the effect that it has in a person's life. You know how quarreling gets real negative and your spirit just kind of wants to check out or fight, flight or fight? Well, the scripture says it's of no value and only ruins those who listen. And I've known people who became disillusioned because they started quarreling, they started getting in debates, and it was on topics that really didn't even have answers or it wasn't even relevant really, but they got plugged in there and because of that, the emotion took them away from the joy of the Lord. Watch out for that cause of drift. Paul tells Timothy a second cause of drift, and that is godless chatter. He explains a little later that that godless chatter is actually teaching that will spread like gangrene. And you're familiar with gangrene enough to know if you get it, some people have to be amputated because it spreads in the body and does damage. It kills cells. You don't want to go there. So godless chatter will cause people to become more and more ungodly 
And that's why Paul is saying, avoid it. It'll cause drift away from Christ as the vibrance of your life. And a third thing that will cause drift is straight-out opposition to the gospel or teaching that opposes what's in the Bible. Those who oppose him, Paul tells Timothy, you must gently instruct, and this is the hope, that God will grant, grant those people repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. In other words, leading them to a saving faith in Jesus. And maybe that's what these people, these negatives need, is to hear the gospel from us, because fundamentally what they lack, which is driving the emotion, driving the quarreling, driving the godless chatter, is the absence of the ultimate solution for life. And the Bible says that that is Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And you can come to the Father through him. Those are causes of drift. In chapter 3, 1 through 9, this is the big idea that I came up with. It's what I learned from it. Is if you want to stay strong in your faith, you have to be selective in who you follow. You've got to be selective. Because there's positives, there's negatives, and it will take you somewhere. And so we will look at three things that you, as someone who is growing in your faith in Jesus Christ, can do to continue in the right direction, building strength. The first thing you do is you have to assess the character. There's a lot of characters out there in the world, a lot of interesting people, a lot of ideas out there. I mean, America is the melting pot of ideas. And so... The scripture says that the first thing that you have to do, and this is usually the first thing you'll see, is glimmers of a person's character. When you got hired, I can guarantee that they looked for your character. And they hired you in part because they saw that you were a person that had some of the characteristics that they were looking for and they wanted to be an employee. When you look for someone who's going to be the mentor of your life, someone that you call up when you're struggling, someone that you look to for spiritual answers, the first thing you want to assess is their character. And I struggled all week because what he lists are 19 characteristics of, of actually not character, but vices uh, the downside. But then I started to realize people who have these characteristics, they probably don't consider it the downside. They probably argue that this is the great thing about them. They probably even like that about themselves. But the scripture is saying to us, you want to be selective. So what you do is you assess the character. And so notice what he says in verse one, that when you look at what life will be like in the last times, the last days. These are times that are probably still ahead. In Scripture, the last days usually can be seen from the time that Christ came until he comes the second time. And so there will be times, yes, during that time frame where things will be bad, things will be okay, things will be good. But he's saying that as we're getting toward the last times, that there will be troubling times. Terrible times. In fact, in Matthew 18, 28, there's an illustration where this term terrible is used 
where two demon-possessed men are out in the outdoors, and when people are traveling through their region, the people have to avoid this area because these guys are so in this emotionally bad state that they, they treat people terrible, and people have to avoid them. And that's what the scripture is saying about the last times, is that they will be troubling times in many ways, socially, relationally, emotionally, politically, economically. There will be troubling times in the last days, but the focus of the next four verses is on the character of the people during those times. And what I've taken the liberty of doing is to group some of these character qualities together because I saw a relationship between them. And let's just take a look at those groupings of eight things. First of all, negatives will increasingly love the wrong things. They will love self, according to verse 2. They will love money. And then later, toward verse 4, they will love pleasure instead of loving God. When a person focuses on a commitment to themselves to the exclusion of everybody else, including God, it's a very small world. And it becomes a very selfish world. It's a world that's looking out for number one. And what oftentimes defines people in the last days will be their pocketbook. It will be the money they make and how much they make and what they buy with it. It will define them. In fact, you notice this even today in our culture. People who consider money very important to their life and their work that makes that money will tell you that what they do is part of who they are. In fact, when they quit working, when they lose their job, when they have a health issue, oftentimes they have a personal emotional crisis because their identity is tied to their means of making money and the paycheck. And that money, unfortunately, becomes an improper tool that's used to uh, manipulate people. Uh, in fact, sometimes parents even will use money to try to tell their children they love them rather than just telling their children, I love you. And so they will be committed to self, money, and then the third thing that we see down in uh, latter verse there is pleasure. That their commitment will be whatever is satisfies them, whatever comes to them, whatever desire they have, they will go for it. That they will be pleasure-seeking people. And you can just imagine what that does to relationships in the latter days because the person who's focused on pleasure is not focused on the other person. They're focused on getting from the other person rather than blessing the other person. And so you see a narcissistic world developing. I don't know that every single person during that day will have all these characteristics. I think what the scripture is telling us in these verses, verses 2 and following, is that these will characterize the culture in general. Perhaps the leadership of the culture and the general tenor of the culture during that day. That it will be increasing toward becoming more narcissistic. Second point, negatives will become more in themselves. It says that they will be arrogant and conceited. They will think about themselves most of the time. 
that they will think highly of themselves beyond what they should. Now, can you just imagine being married to a person like that in the latter times? They're less considerate and they're self-absorbed. That makes for a challenging relationship. Imagine what that would produce culturally in a culture of people who arrogance and conceit is really strong out there. People are not looking out for each other. People are not even looking what other people have the capability of doing unless it's just to get money. So it becomes exploitive. Negatives will also become focused on the wrong thing. They will focus on boasting, and so not only will they think about themselves a lot, you'll hear them talking about themselves a lot. They'll be trying to sell you on how important they are. You know, it's a very small world when you're trying to prop yourself up to look important and valuable to other people, isn't it? Have you ever tried that? It actually feels kind of, I don't know, kind of shallow. It feels insecure. It feels like you need to make yourself into some people who are trying to manage image, image control. There's entire businesses and professions that are built around this to help other people perceive you as something you need them to see you as. And because they're boastful, it's going to be hard for them to be grateful because they will be thinking about themselves and what they can do. They won't be looking at what you've just done for them. They're going to be thinking about how they somehow caused you to do that. And so thankfulness will be minimized. Boasting will be maximized. Negatives in the last days will undermine others. It will be a culture characterized by slander and malicious gossip. It will be intentional for the purpose of manipulating people or getting what they want or causing a circumstance to work the way they want it. And that's not going to be a beautiful culture. That'll be a tough place, a challenging place with troubles to it. And the family will suffer. Two characteristics, they will disobey parents. There will be a rejection of boundaries. It doesn't matter whether they're good or healthy but they will reject those boundaries. They will disobey parents, even though the parents love them. Let's face it. You may do everything right as a parent, but your child still makes the decision about how they behave and act. And so you continue praying for your children, and in the latter days, I think there will be a lot of brokenhearted parents who will be praying for their children who have disobeyed and left the home And it also says that it will be an unloving world, that people will love less. They won't value that love. Love is a commitment to God's greatest good in other people's lives. You're the conduit, and they're the recipient. But people won't think that way. Narcissism doesn't go there. And so love will be less. And you're not going to be surprised with this. It will be a divided culture, because it says that people will be irreconcilable, One translation says, uh, unforgiving, that in all the brokenness, you know how people can have misunderstandings and then you have hurt feelings? A lot of people will choose not even to bother to reconcile. They'll just let it go. Hey, it's, it's on them. That's their problem. I don't care. There'll be a lot of people not even wanting to forgive, much less reconcile. And the use of gossip will only perpetuate that problem. It will be many, many divided relationships. 
The lack of boundaries will show up in a lack of self-control. Self-control actually means that you have power over yourself, power over your thoughts, power over your desires, power over your emotions. And in the last days, people will not have very much self-control. In fact, it says they will be brutal, harsh, demanding, tyrannical, pushing you, pushing your buttons because they won't care and they won't have compassion. And then very interesting that the last characteristic that we cover here tonight is that they're going to be kind of religious. Now, isn't that shocking? After all these uh, vices that you've heard of, which they're going to probably say are good things, after all, tough world, you need to be tough. And so lots of the things that the scripture says are vices in that culture, they probably won't even listen to you. They'll think, why should I? I'm not getting ahead. I'm doing okay. Okay, so my relationships aren't so strong. But at least I have money. At least I have resources. Look where I'm at. And that will be the kind of world they live in. But they will have a kind of religiousness. This isn't the religiousness you want. Because it says, though they have a form of religion, and the term for form means an outward structure or design, an outward pattern. But it's saying they won't have the inward reality. You see, I knew this as a young person. I had religion for a few years, but I didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I believed there was a God, I was a theist. I even believe the Bible seemed like it was most likely God's word when I was a young kid. I thought, it sounds like the best one to me of all the options out there, you know? But, you know, I didn't have a relationship with Jesus, though I believed there was a God, and I even looked into the Bible. The day came when I actually looked at Jesus and was challenged to have a relationship with Jesus, and that's the day when the Bible actually became very real to me and very meaningful. In the last days, there will be many people who will have this outward form of religion, but the Bible says they will deny the power of it. How can you believe in God and religion and not have power? Well, it's quite easy. There's many ways for that to happen. You can believe that the Bible is a good book, but not trust Jesus as your Savior. You can believe Jesus is your Savior, but not obey the good book, and it won't make much difference in your life. You'll deny the power of it. You can talk all about Jesus, but until you personally do business with him and trust him with your whole life and heart, you're denying the power. You're missing the power. Jesus actually talked to some people who had this problem. They had the outward form, but they didn't have the inward reality of a relationship with God. Jesus said, woe to you, teachers of the law. Remember, we're talking about who you let influence your life. And teachers are one of the primary people people that do that in your life. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. He called them hypocrites. Uh, You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. So there's a couple negative attributes, a couple vices. And he says, blind Pharisees 
First clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean. And that's what God does for you when you choose a relationship with Jesus Christ, as he goes to work cleaning you on the inside, your thoughts, your motives, your attitudes, even your emotions. He starts working in there by the wonderful power of his holy, loving spirit, and he changes you. How many of you have experienced that? Uh, Yeah, how many of you experienced that? Yeah, that's right. Because God really does have power. It's not this external looking good thing. It's not a conformity to a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's a relationship with Jesus that changes you from the inside out and makes you real and authentic and in love with God. So we've looked at 19 vices that people will have in the last days. Negative qualities, according to the scripture, and it says this, have nothing to do with them. It's an imperative. It it means to turn away from or to avoid. It's saying, these are not the mentors, these are not the teachers, these are not... Uh, the influencers you want to choose for your life. Don't go there. Don't even go there. In fact, if you want to be a light to these people, take those 18, 19 vices and do the reverse. Do the exact opposite. Love God with all your heart, and those people are going to see the difference in your life, and they're going to experience it. Instead of being brutal, be incredibly compassionate and helpful and kind. And just watch people's lives start to change because you're light in the midst of terrible times. There's a second thing that a positive, growing believer does is that they, they discern the exploitation of the vulnerable. The first point was really looking at the character. Now we're looking at the conduct. You have to assess the conduct of how those people, how those teachers, how those influencers treat other people, the vulnerable. It says about these people that they're the kind who worm their way into homes. That's the strategy. You see, so far we've talked about how these teachers may influence people in the church setting where we're all together, or in your grow group where they might come in and join. But the scripture actually points out that in this specific example of what took place is that these are the kind who wiggle their way in, who sneak their way in to homes. They go one-to-one. And so, secular culture understands this when they study profiles of exploiters, abusers. There's all kinds of studies done on this. And so, when they try to analyze these people who uh, do unhealthy things to otherwise kind, normal Americans, they find that these people are actually looking around for vulnerable people, people that have certain characteristics that make them vulnerable. They look for a bad family background. They look for people who are resentful toward their family. 
They look for people who have a poor self-image. They kind of hang their head and look like they feel uncomfortable in a crowd. And you see, these exploiters look for those kinds of people because they know that they can go and come close to them and make them feel good. Win their hearts and then work in their lives in an unhealthy way. And Paul is saying to Timothy, they are the kind who worm their way into homes, individual households, and gain control. And every one of you have probably heard of control freaks. You may even know somebody that you think is a control freak. And they look for someone who they can have the opportunity to work their way into their life and influence them emotionally, intellectually, relationally, socially, and exert more and more control in their lives. Paul is warning Timothy, tell your people, tell your church that there are actually these kinds of people that come into the Christian church and it's not pretty what they can do to individuals. And here is a very specific instance that he highlights and gives us four weaknesses of the people that he's identifying were the target of these people. These are the vulnerable ones. They go in and they gain control over this group, a small group of weak-willed women within the church who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. So let's unpack that. There's four things there. First of all, it says that these people have a weak will. That's another way of saying is they lack conviction. Number one, they lack strong convictions, therefore they're vulnerable to suggestion to a charismatic teacher, to an influential mentor, to a very nice guy or gal. These are the kind of people who lack strength of conviction. Therefore, someone with a stronger personality can influence their decision-making and will. Number two, it says that they were loaded down with sins. Who isn't loaded down with sins? At some point in your life, there's something that you're aware of that things just don't seem to be going right and you realize maybe it's your choices that cause that. Maybe you deal with guilt. Maybe you deal with sleeplessness. Maybe you have fears. Maybe you have memories of people who hurt you in the past, who sinned against you. Whatever it is, whatever caused it, if you're loaded down with sins and you haven't found a solution, you're vulnerable. You're susceptible to suggestion and influence by someone who wants to come into your life alongside you and influence you. Third area of vulnerability, all kinds of desires. All kinds of uh, thoughts and wishes and longings. In fact, I found in 28 years of doing pastoral ministry, my observation is that the number one cause of Christians even going sideways in the faith and people who are just seekers wandering away is this. 
is that their desires combined with strong emotions lead to great disillusionment and disappointment, and they wander. When people get their feelings hurt because they don't get what they want, their desires aren't met, it's amazing. They just disappear. They go away. It's like they go, if I can't get what I want from God, if I can't get what I want from this teacher, if they're not giving me what I say I need, then I'm going to pack up and leave. I've seen this happen over and over again. And so it's an area of vulnerability. Your desires, which lead to disappointment, can lead to disillusionment and wandering. And then the fourth thing that can happen is that you can always learn but never come to the truth. Isn't it amazing? You can sit in a church for years and even hear Bible teaching and just know all about God but never have a relationship with God. And that was the fourth vulnerability of these specific women within that church is that they hadn't come to a place where they actually trusted Christ as the way of salvation. They didn't acknowledge Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, and therefore it was just a bunch of knowledge. Anybody can go to school, but you got to do something with Jesus. You got to believe in him. You got to trust him. <coughs> Excuse me. And so we know from 1 Timothy that Paul used the knowledge of the truth in the context of being saved. That's how we know later that that was what he was associating it with. It's coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so that's why we desire that every one of you have that knowledge. The third thing that positives do, and those who are growing, is that they recognize the contrast. When you're thinking about someone to be your key influencer your life coach, your counselor, your spiritual teacher, your Bible teacher, your, uh, your favorite music group. Think about the contrasts. There's five contrasts in these verses. First of all, it talks about two people that aren't mentioned any other place in the Bible except for right here. Just as Janes and Jambres opposed Moses. Interesting. You study Jewish extra-biblical literature, you find these two characters talked about. They identify them with Exodus chapter 7, verse 11, when the Israelites, led by Moses, were seeking to leave Egypt, and God began doing supernatural miracles for the whole nation, so that Pharaoh would see that God was authorizing Moses to say, you know the words, let my people go. You watch the movie a lot, don't you? Yeah, sure you do. And these two characters are identified in Jewish leaders as being two of the magicians that were part of Pharaoh's group that imitated God's miracles through Moses. In other words, these two opposed Moses by trying to give counterfeit miracles that would keep Israel right there in Egypt and not obey God. They were opposing what God was trying to do. They were opposing God's leader, Moses. 
they didn't have a good reason to do it, but they were doing it. And so isn't it interesting that every one of us faces the question, who are we going to choose to be an influencer in our lives? Will it be someone who supports biblical, godly leadership? There was nothing wrong with Moses' leadership, but they opposed it anyway. You have to discern the two opposing forces and decide, who am I going to follow? Then it goes on to point out a a second clue in terms of picking the kind of leader you want in your life is that they oppose the truth. So also, these men oppose the truth. They oppose the truth, obviously, if extra-biblical Jewish literature is right, by opposing God's will for the Israelites to leave and go to the promised land. That's obvious what this context would be. But there are other ways of opposing the truth. There are people who would try to get you to oppose the moral truth of Scripture, the ethical truth of Scripture, the teachings on miracles within the Scripture. They're trying to get you not to believe that that ever happened, that that's just all made-up stuff. We believe that that actually happened because it took place in history. Witnesses saw it. They wrote about it. It's part of history. God intervened. God still works. And God's trying to speak to you primarily today through his word, the written word of God, we hope that you will read your Bible and discover the reality of a personal relationship with God and that you will choose to listen to sound biblical teaching and find mentors and teachers and leaders in your life that are going to support the truth of God's word. The third clue is that they have ungodly mindsets. Now, it says that these two characters were men of depraved mind, meaning that they had broken thinking, that they weren't thinking correctly, and that they, it was a pattern of thinking in their life that they weren't willing to think about what God was doing, how God was guiding, how God was working, how God's leader was leading. They were refusing to do any of that In fact, depraved actually means a useless mindset. It won't do anything good for you. Like we looked earlier in the message, those three drift causes of drift, that's what a depraved mind will do. It won't take you to God. It won't take you to health. It won't take you to the healing that you need in Christ. It'll try to move you away from it. It'll try to tell you there's other ways of getting that. They have ungodly mindset. Number four, they're outside the faith. In other words, these characters were not believers. What you want is a believer in Christ, a mature believer in Christ, to be your mentor, your influence in your life. It says, as far as the faith is concerned, they are rejected. In Titus 1.16, there are people who claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. You see, when God works in a person's life, the transformation starts happening. That's the kind of person you want to be an influence in your life, 
is someone who not only professes the faith, but possesses the faith. The fifth clue that you want to look for is that God's will prevails over man's will. Those two characters were trying to get their will be done. Jesus taught us to pray his will be done. They won't get very far, the scripture says, because as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. Because God continued to do miracles through Moses, the Pharaoh continued to get hard-hearted about the whole thing, but he finally relented because God convinced him to let God's people go. You see, when God's in it, God's going to have movement. He's going to make things happen in your life. Just watch, pray, wait patiently, trust Him, talk to your spiritual coach and advisor, and they'll tell you the same thing. Be patient, pray, watch for God giving you signals, read your Bible and pray every day, be faithful, and God will work things out. Today, I just got blown away. It was just so funny. God provided for me. It was just so unreal. I'd been researching this week something that I felt I needed, and today, God just gave it to me. And I just, I just started laughing. I, just, I, was, I was laughing. It was, it was like, God, you knew. You knew I needed this, and then you just provided this. You just gave it to me. It was so fun. I just had to say, I just had to share it with you tonight. God does really fun things too. It just makes me laugh. And if he wants you to go somewhere like he did the Israelites, if he wants you to do something like he did the Israelites and Moses, if he has a plan and he does, he will provide for it in his timing and he will take you there and your coach your spiritual advisor will even see the signals too because it'll be clear to everyone that God's in this thing. Stay strong in the faith by being selective in who you follow. Who's your primary leader? Who's your primary teacher? Who's your primary Bible teacher? Who's your primary spiritual coach? Who's the primary influencer in your life? I am so thankful to God that he gave me a series of people. A series of people. And that's what it'll probably be for you too. That influenced your life. I'm thankful for the uh, college student who came home in the summer to my home church and said to me, Ken, how about we get together Sunday night eat a bowl of ice cream, and talk about Jesus in the Bible. I am so thankful for Doug. I thank God for Doug. I still remember today, because 35 years ago, he gave me the book, Guidebook to Discipleship. We read it, and I still have that book, and it shaped my life. It shaped my life, and I still remember it to this day. Who is your spiritual influencer? Jesus has to be number one. And then he creates a community of people, healthy people. And you've just seen today the criteria that you want to look for. They've got godly character. Not that stuff. They've got conduct that is biblical and respectable and honorable. 
and they've got consistency rather than contradictions. They're the real thing. Find someone like that and make them your friend. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that every person in here would either find Jesus in a personal relationship or they would rethink the guidance and direction in their life and who they want to have being their primary influence. I pray that they will find someone of character, of godly conduct, a person whose agenda is focused on you and not on them. And we commit the search process to you. Guide each person to someone like that that will be a godly inspiration. In Jesus' name, amen.